0: Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Man, I want the first words to come out of my mouth concerning today's message to be this. I want you to know that you are loved. I want you to know that there's forgiveness with our great God, that today's message is not a message of condemnation, but yet it is a tough one. The other day, I won't name any names because I'm not trying to embarrass anyone, I'm trying to make a point, but the other day someone in our family, they fixed some, some rice, and it happened that the rice that was in the bottom of the pot got burned a little bit. Here's a question for all of you, and I'm just trying to get a poll. Would you say that, that the whole batch of rice needs to be thrown out because a little bit in the bottom got burned? Or would you say that we just take the rice off the top and we scrape out the bottom and throw that away? Which one would you lean on? Are you going to throw the whole pot away? Anybody in the house going to throw the whole pot away? Anybody going to scrape that stuff off and just eat on Y'all my kind of people. Amen. All right. All right. Well, you're saying uh, to me, Pastor, where are you going with that? Well, I'm going to jump into something here. What we're really talking about here is the difference between Plato's holistic versus atomistic philosophy. The holistic philosophy says that the burnt rice affects the whole pot. The atomistic view says that the individual burnt rice doesn't affect... The whole pot of rice. Now you're saying, my goodness, philosophy in church on the 4th of July. Well, hang on with me just a little bit because I want to tell you why I'm going here. That holistic and atomistic thing is sometimes the way we think about our bodies and our whole selves. It is at play right now in America. There's a school of thought that says your body is separate from your true self. That what you do with your body doesn't affect the whole of you. It doesn't affect your spirit or your soul. You can do with your body what you want because it doesn't affect your body, soul, or spirit. But the atomistic view is at work that says, yes, that whatever you do affects your body. And so I want to just kind of throw this out to you right now, that in this climate especially with the, praise the Lord, the Supreme Court decision that came out to protect life, everybody is raging about their body and their right to their body. They can do with their body what they want to. I'm trying to let you know that Paul says that that's not how God views it. God says that whatever we do with our body does affect everything else. And so you're saying, well, how did we get there? Because we're studying the book of Corinthians. And in Corinth, they had the same thing going on that we do today. This is a very relevant passage for the time that we're in. The Corinthians had followed Plato's atomistic view. And they believed that whatever they did with their bodies didn't affect anything else. As a matter of fact, the body was kind of evil. So you just did with it what you wanted to. The only thing that mattered was the spirit. They believed that God had saved their spirit and it was going to heaven, thus... They could do whatever they wanted to with their bodies, but Paul tells them the truth. I'm going to say it simplistically, the the message today, in kind of one sentence. It's this. Jesus gave up his body as a sacrifice so we don't have to give up our body to sin. Jesus gave up his body as a sacrifice so that we don't have to give up our body to sin. God says that we are to use our bodies for his glory. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. And because God is speaking, and this is His holy word, there's something different when God speaks. I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of His word. I'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I'll begin reading in verse 12. The Bible says, All things are what, church? Lawful for me, but not all things are what? All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by what? Food is for the stomach and stomach is for the food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Amen. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore. Glorify God in your body. You may be seated. May God bless His holy word. Did you see that last sentence, church? I'm going to teach you some basic hermeneutics or how to study the Bible. When you come across a word there in verse 20 and it says, therefore, you need to ask yourself, what's the therefore, therefore? And it gives us the whole key to this whole passage. This whole passage is saying, because of everything that I've just said, therefore, because of all that, glorify God in your body. And so Paul is giving us principles of why we need to glorify God in our body. He's talking about how do we do this? Why should we do this? And he gives us seven quick principles concerning why we're to use our body for God's glory. The first principle is the beneficial control principle. The beneficial control principle. Using our bodies for his glory means that we won't give our bodies over to anything that could gain control, mastery, or dominion over our bodies. He says there in verse 12, he says, listen, all things are lawful for me, but not everything is profitable. All things are lawful, but I will not be mastered by anything. The phrase all things are lawful was a slogan in Corinth. They repeated it all the time. Paul had taught them that they had been freed from the law. They'd been freed from the demands of the law to gain salvation. That Jesus had done everything that was needed to satisfy the demands of the law concerning salvation. That they were saved by grace and now they were free in Christ. But they took that freedom a little too far. Their freedom was not to be used for sin, but they were using it for sin. And you and I are free. We're free in Jesus, but we're only free to do the things that please the Lord. Paul corrects their misguided slogan, and he tells them, yes, while you're free from having to keep the law to be saved, everything that now you are free to do doesn't mean that everything you do will be beneficial to you. Paul says not everything is profitable. That, That word profitable means to bear together. What they were doing and what God has laid out in His Word were not bearing together. It wasn't beneficial. It wasn't helpful. It wasn't expedient. It wasn't advantageous, even though they were free to do some things. The moment you and I use our Christian freedom to hurt somebody else, we've now fallen from liberty into license. Some things may not be wrong in themselves, but it may be wrong or unwise of us to do. For instance, a Christian is free to eat anything he wants, whenever he wants. But that freedom can cause you great harm and may not be beneficial. If a person has a sickness, it may not be good for him to eat sugar, although he is free to do so. If we're concerned about the use of our bodies from God, then it would not be wise to just eat whatever we want. But we're free to do it. There's no law in God's word that says we can't. So Christians willingly and gladly set aside their freedoms to have a positive testimony before the unsaved world or to keep a brother and sister from stumbling. But most importantly, we do that to glorify God. Then Paul tells them he really jumps into the heart of the matter because in verse 12, the last part is he says, but I will not be mastered by anything. That word mastered means to be brought under the control or power of something else. Because you and I belong to the Lord, nothing in our life is to have control over us but the Lord. No substance, No chemical, no food, no drug, no drink, no habit, no relationship. Nothing should have domination over us but King Jesus. Specifically, Paul is applying this principle to that of sexual immorality. So that nasty stuff we look at on our phones... That stuff we troll and find out on the internet, those magazines we pick up, those TV shows that are full of that filthy stuff should not have mastery or even a place in our lives. If it's not going to benefit your life in Christ, you shouldn't even allow it into your life, much less figure out if it has mastery over you. My little grandson, Zion, he's, he's two. He's precious. Y'all have seen him before. He loves to play with my Australian shepherd named Lacey and she's beautiful. She has a rope, and Zion loves to play tug with her. Zion will get that rope, and he'll grab one end of it, and and Lacey will grab the other end of it, and my Australian shepherd, she loves kids, so she's really gentle with them. So Zion will kind of start at first, and he'll kind of be dragging her around the house like this, And, and it's going awesome, but the more he plays, the more excited she gets, and he will pull a little bit, and he'll keep dragging her, but then Man, just in the blink of an eye, the next thing we know, Zion is being drugged around by Lacey all through our house. Here's, here's why I tell you that. That's exactly the way it is when you choose to play with sin. One moment you think you're in control. And the next moment you know you're being drugged all over Texas by your sin. We are not to allow anything to have domination over life. It is the beneficial control principle. Will this benefit me? If it will not, it will not bring glory to the Lord. So God puts a danger sign. God puts a poison sign. God puts a do not enter sign over anything that would gain control over us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 3 through 5, Paul says, for this is the will of God. How much clearer can you get? Your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from what? Sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who don't know God. Using my body for the glory of God means I understand the beneficial control principle. But here's the second thing. The better call principle. The better call principle. God has made you and called you for a purpose that is beyond anything else in this life. Look in verse 13. food for the stomach and stomach for the food. But God's going to do away with both of them. Yet the body is not meant for immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. Another slogan in Corinth. They would go around saying food for the belly and belly for the food. We kind of do that here in about 40 minutes. The purpose of food is to satisfy the belly, and the purpose of the belly is to, to take in food. So the Corinthians thought, well, then I have appetites in my body, and one of those is also a sexual appetite, and I have a way of satisfying those sexual appetites, so the purpose of my life is to satisfy my appetites, especially my sexual ones. That's the philosophy in our world right now. We all have appetites. We all have body parts to satisfy those appetites. So the purpose of my body is just to give in and satisfy those appetites. We've gone even further, though. In our culture today, we say, if my own body parts don't satisfy my appetites, I'll just surgically have them removed or added or altered. And then I'll satisfy my appetite. Paul says that even though food and the stomach are meant for each other, God's going to do away with them both. In other words, God doesn't have an eternal purpose for your digestive system. Then Paul makes the connection. Just as the stomach and food have a a call on their life, as they have a purpose, so too does our body. He says that our, our body is not for immorality, but the purpose of our body is for the Lord. Just as the stomach is not meant for anything that would harm it nor fulfill its purpose, so too the body is not meant for anything that could harm it or not fulfill its call. The body's purpose is not meant for immorality. This again is the word there, that word sexual immorality. It describes any type of sexual activity of any kind. Before marriage, outside of marriage, even within marriage. It describes videos, habits, self-love. And just as the stomach is for food and food for the stomach, so the body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body, verse 14. Now, God has not only raised up the Lord, but also raised us up through his power. What in the world has that got to do with the subject? There's a better call for our bodies is what he's saying. It's not just a temporary physical purpose like the, the stomach is. The body has an eternal call, an eternal purpose. The body only finds its purpose in the resurrected Lord. Beloved, your life will always be empty and unsatisfied unless you fill it with your God-given purpose, and that's to live for the glory of King Jesus. I was watching AGT, uh, America's Got Talent, last week, and, and a young lady came on, and they asked her why she was auditioning for America's Got Talent. And she said that during the pandemic, she began to video herself making coffee and protein drinks while she sang. And she said she received so many comments about her singing that she thought, well, maybe I can sing. So why not go try out? She said she was trying to get a job at Home Depot, but now she was going to try to see where singing may take her. She sang and trust me, she blew everybody away. I mean, she really had found the purpose of her life. And, beloved, listen to me. Some of us are settling, and no disrespect for this, but some of us are settling for a Home Depot kind of Christianity. When God wants to put you on the stage that'll rock the world, there is a better call for King Jesus. When we make our lives about that purpose, everybody else will notice as well. But most importantly, all the applause of heaven will be focused on giving King Jesus his glory. There's something better than just satisfying the very temporary sexual appetites that we have. It's the better call principle. Here's the third thing this morning, the binding connection principle. The binding connection principle. Paul asks some questions that have some sting to them. Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall then I take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? And Paul says, may it never be. The Christian is very relatable and relevant because in Corinth, there are over 1,000 prostitutes at the temple. It was very common. This is sad, but, but it's true. It was very common. It happens today too, just differently. It was very common to go to the temple for a meal. And then afterwards, after worshiping, to visit a prostitute in the temple. Men in that culture had wives for bearing children, and they had prostitutes to satisfy their other needs. And Paul asks, because you're connected to the Lord in a very intimate way, and you're members of his body, should you now go and be connected in the very same deep way with a prostitute? Paul says in the Greek, it's the, the strongest terms possible. He says, he says, No! Yet we see it today. Men and women even on the way to church watching pornography on their phones. On the way home, go to somebody's house to fulfill a desire. And all this as believers, that's his point. This should break our heart. May it never be said of us that this is how we live. Verse 16. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. Paul goes back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. The very first marriage, and he says that when a man and a woman, which, by the way, is the only kind of marriage, and it's the only place for sex, and when they come together, they can actually become connected in a way that's like no other kind of connection. And what Paul is saying here is, is that sexual activity is like no other kind of activity. There's a joining that happens. It's not just physical. It happens in your soul, your body, and your spirit. Thus, without the covenant commitment of marriage, when I'm joined to somebody the way I should be in marriage if I leave that, there's a dissolving of that connection and it leaves a devastating tear or a stain or a scar on my heart. Sexual activity before, even outside of marriage, will beyond your ability to understand, affect intimacy with your future spouse. Please listen to me. Sexual activity before marriage will affect your marriage in the future. It's going to affect your current spouse. but More importantly, it's going to affect your relationship with King Jesus. It's like what happens when you glue two tissues together. When you're sexually involved with somebody, it's two tissues coming together. And if you try to separate them without the covenant of marriage inside of it, it will damage them both. And it'll make a mess. If you've ever tried to tear two tissues that have been glued together apart, you realize what you have. It affects us in ways that we can never imagine. There is a joining that takes place. Remember, this binding connection principle because in verse 17, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Jesus says, listen, you have no business doing that with other people because you're mine. You were joined to me first. That word join literally means to be glued or welded or attached. You were connected to Jesus. And listen to me, when we do that, when we, it's just like what happens when people commit adultery in marriage and the, the partner is just devastated that somebody would do that to them. Paul is saying, listen, you were married to Jesus First. You would join Him first, and when you go outside of that and do that kind of nonsense, it's just like what happens when you commit adultery. The Lord's heart is broken, and He feels it. God puts a warning label, a danger sign, a poison label on sexual immorality. Terry Crews, since I'm on the AGT kick... (laughs) Terry Crews is the host of AGT. He's a former NFL player who is now an actor. And he hosts the largest show there, America's Got Talent. And he's a follower of the Lord. But at one point in his life, he was addicted to pornography. And in a discussion about that, he said that people became only objects and body parts to him while he had that addiction. He said that every time he watched it, he became walled off. Every time he watched it, it put a huge brick in the wall between him, himself, and his wife. He said that in the middle of his addiction, his wife turned to him and said she didn't even recognize him. Why? Because nothing but bricks were being added to the wall that was being built between him and his wife. Please listen to me. Sexual immorality of any kind, whether premarital, whether just viewing things, homosexuality, transgenderism, sex outside of marriage, it all creates walls between spouses, future spouses, and King Jesus. Listen to me carefully. If I've turned you off, please listen for a minute, and then you can turn me back off. Listen to my heart. Listen to the word. Listen to this. If you are currently living in this kind of sin, It will seem like the Lord is not listening to you. That the Lord does not care. That you have no more passion for the Lord. That you doubt His own existence. That His word is very dry, dull, and boring. That you don't want to read or pray or serve. That church is not for you anymore. And let me tell you why. Because sexual immorality puts a wall between you and God. Your body was not meant for that. Your body and my body was meant for the glory of God. The beneficial control, the better call, and the binding connection. Here's the fourth thing, the bad consequence principle. The bad consequence principle. Verse 18, he says this, flee immorality. (laughs) Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. So when we're dealing with sexual immorality, what does the Bible say to do? It says what, church? F-L-E-E. It says flee. And the the, the tense of the verb means that we continually, constantly flee. In other words, we have to run from it. We've got to get away from it. Listen to me. The word does not mean that we stay and try and resist it. That's where most men fail. I think I'm strong enough, and I'm just going to try to do what i got to do, put some protective measures in place. No, the Bible says flee from it. It doesn't mean you stay and battle it until you think you're not strong enough anymore. It means to make a decision ahead of time that you're not going to be tempted by it, that you're not going to be around things that are going to tempt you by it. You're not going to be around people that are going to tempt you by it because you realize the Bible says flee it, not face it. you are going to make no provision for that sin of the flesh, the Scripture says. And then if you find yourself, after fleeing, finding yourself in a situation again, you just flee yet again. I'm a good old country boy, and I don't come up with many clever sayings, but here's something the Lord laid on my heart this week. You might find this somewhere else, but somebody stole it from me. Lord reminded me and spoke to my heart because I saw a skunk in the middle of the road on the way to Walmart, and I was preparing this sermon. Here's what the Lord spoke to my heart. This ain't the Word of God. This is just King Jesus speaking to my heart. Don't get confused. Sexual immorality is the skunk of the church. You had better run when you see it, or it's really going to stink if you don't. Cannot tell you how serious we need to take this admonition from the Lord. Because Paul says there's something unique about this sin. Just like there's something unique about the stench of a skunk, right? There's nothing else on planet Earth quite like a skunk. And when you sin this way, you sin against your own body. Paul says every other sin does not affect your soul and your body like the sin of sexual immorality does. This sin lingers for life. You can be forgiven. Praise God. You can be forgiven. But the lifelong consequences of sexual immorality will follow you until Jesus takes you home. Every other sin can be dealt with. Most, Most sins can be corrected simply by abstinence. If I'm an alcoholic, I just stop drinking and my liver may be shot, but it doesn't affect my spirit, doesn't affect my soul. But the damage with sexual sin, listen to me, can never be undone. It can be forgiven, but the consequences remain. Think about this. After David sinned with Bathsheba, listen to me, he never won another battle. And his children and his family suffered for the rest of his life. You see, when you get drunk, which you should never do, my admonition is you flee from the stuff altogether, but that's between you and God. If you're a glutton or you abuse your body, it doesn't affect you in the same way sexual sin does. In other words, let me go back to the analogy. Don't play with this skunk. Don't try to capture the skunk. Don't try to make the skunk a house pet. Don't try to feed it. Don't have selfies with it. Don't try to pet it. The scripture says what? Do like Joseph did. You better run. I usually keep breath mints in my pocket like I do right now because I'm a kind pastor. Y'all know there ain't nothing worse than some stanky breath especially when you're trying to pray with somebody. Man, i prayed more for my breath than I have for other people. I'm just telling you. This is just being real here. But back when we were all wearing masks, I still put breath mints in my pocket on Sunday mornings and would pop them in my mouth, even with the mask on. One Sunday morning, it dawned on me that it was silly to use breath mints while I had a mask on. I tried it one day without a mint, and I quickly realized I still need breath mints. At that point, I realized that I was not eating a a mint to protect everybody else from my breath. I was eating a breath mint to protect me from my breath. And with sexual sin, you don't do it just to protect others. You're going to do it to protect yourself. Hebrews 13:4 the Bible says marriage is to be held in honor among all and the marriage bed is to be what church but listen there's a consequence for fornicators and adulterers what does the Bible say you may have heard it and it bears telling again but sex and marriage is like a fire in the fireplace Fire in a fireplace brings light and it brings warmth and it brings comfort. But if that fire ever gets taken outside the fireplace, it'll burn the whole house down. There's a bad consequence that comes with sexual immorality. Warren Wiersbe, a great preacher of old, said this way. I love his his phrasing. He said, sex outside of marriage is like a man robbing a bank. He'll get something, but it's not his. And one day, he'll have to pay for it. Sexual immorality can be forgiven, and that's the hope that we have in Jesus. But can I tell you, in my counseling, and every week I deal with this stuff, we can be forgiven. But how sad it is that so many of us have to live with the consequences of forgiven sin. Don't go here. Sexual immorality is a picture of the devil and his deception. For the father of sin is Satan, the mother of sin is lust, and the offspring of sin is always death. I can bring glory to God with my body by remembering the beneficial control, better call, binding connection, and the bad consequence principle, but then also the blessed container principle. The Blessed Container Principle, verse 19, he says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of us. We become the blessed containers of the glory and person of King Jesus. Just like the ark that contain the glory, the Shekinah glory of God, so too do those of us who believe in Jesus at the moment of salvation, the Shekinah glory, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of us. Romans 8, 9 says this. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Those of us who, who are in Jesus have the spirit of God living inside of us. But he says something interesting here. I want you to see it there. Or do you not know that your body is a temple? Look at that word temple. That's not a word that just describes kind of like a holy place. It's not a, a word to describe the court of Gentiles. It's not a, a word to describe the kind of the, the holy place. It's the word for the very holy of holies. You would know in the temple, there were just different places, but, but the high priest could only go into the Holy of Holies once a year, and he had to do so. He had to bring blood of an unblemished lamb. And, and if he didn't do what he was supposed to do, and if there was any sin in his life whatsoever, God would kill him while he was in the Holy of Holies. It's a very serious place. But the Bible says that you and I are now the very Holy of Holies. blows my mind. So think about that. How would you feel right now? No, this is not rhetorical. This is for you to just really be silent about in a different way. Don't answer this, please. But how would you feel right now if I said, hey, stop the press. We're going to watch an X-rated movie right here in church. You would lose your mind. And I would lose my job. And rightfully so. What if I said, hey, you know what? Any of y'all want to get funky in the house of God? Go for it. Right here. He's right up on the altar. Let's, let's all just, we don't have to watch. We can turn our back. Or some of you just crawl on the chairs. Or some of you just kind of go up there in the balcony. Do what you got to do in the house of God. Just, just you know, get your freak on. You don't even like the way I'm talking right now. And you shouldn't. And I am making a point. If we get bothered that that stuff would happen in the house of God, listen to me, and this is only a building, then why do we ever allow it in the Holy of Holies? That's Paul's point. You and I are the blessed container of the Holy Spirit of God, and it should change the way we do this thing. There was a young, beautiful flight attendant who was a member of a Christian airline personnel. And One day she was serving coffee on a plane, and the plane had just taken off. And as she came down the aisle, she stepped beside a man who looked up at her, and he got her attention. And he opened his hand, and he showed her a very explicit sexual object. She immediately got his implication. It was a bold pass, and it shook her to her core. She didn't know what to do for a moment. She she went back to the back of the plane to recover herself, and there she prayed and asked God to show her what to do because she knew she would have to face that man again. She went back, and she knelt beside his seat, and she looked him straight in the eye, and she said this, sir, I saw what you showed me, and I understand what you meant and what you want. but there's something you need to know. I'm a Christian, and my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and God says he's going to destroy anybody who messes with his temple. The man began to stammer and apologize, and she said, I understand. You don't have to say anything else. I just want you to know what the Bible said about your indecent proposal and about what the Bible says about who I am. And Later, she went back and gave thanks. That the Lord gave her boldness to flee Sexual immorality. You just need to remember, listen to me, you and I have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. Quickly, the next thing is the bold claim principle. The bold claim principle, verse 19, the last part, it says, and that you are not your own. If you are a follower of Jesus and you've been saved, you've been made right with God, what I mean, by placing your trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible clearly tells you that you and I now are not our own. Let me break that down to you, what that really means, that your hands are not your hands. Your feet are not your feet. Your lips are not your lips. Your eyes are not your eyes. You can't touch what you want, go out with who you want, kiss what you want, look at anything you want to. Every single part of you is not your own. In in our culture right now, we hear the lie, my body, my choice, lie. Love is love because my body is my body. Lie. Gender is a social construct because my body belongs to me and I can change it to be however I want it to be. Lie. Or it's an absolute right to have an abortion because I have a right to do with my body as I please. You are not your own. You're not your own. And when that lands really in your heart, it'll change everything about you. You just can't say, these are my lips, and I'll say anything I want to. These are my lips, I'll smoke anything I want to. These are my feet, I'll go where I want to. This is, these are my hands, I'll touch or take what I want to. These are my private parts, I'll do with them what I want to. You, you are not your own. You're not your own. There's a bold claim being put on your life. And then that leads us to the last thing very quickly, the big cost principle. The big cost principle, verse 20, he says, For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. That word bought there is interesting. You've been bought with a price. It describes something that was bought from the marketplace. But what makes it stand out is the word that's kind of next to it, that you were bought with a price. So it's something that was in the marketplace, but yet it was bought at a price. That word price means the highest price something could pay for something. It's not just an average price. It's not just a kind of a normal price. It's the highest price one could pay for something. And so what the the scripture is telling us is, is that you and I, Have been bought with a price. The the price was the blood and the body of Jesus and the place he found us was in the marketplace of sin. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, knowing that you were not redeemed or bought with perishable things like normal things, like silver or gold from your futile way of life, but you were bought with what? The precious blood, a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Jesus paid too high a price For us to say, we'll do what we want to with our bodies. We're not our own. We have been bought with a price. Usually, if you're like me, maybe you're not. But I try to pay the lowest price for things I possibly can. But when it came to our redemption, God paid the highest price possible. Because he loves us. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is about God telling one of his prophets to marry a girl whom he would know destroy and break his heart. She was a woman with a shady past, and and she was a woman who had a really fickle heart. She would time and time again abuse his love and seek the love of other men. The story comes to a head when the woman is standing on a bidding block. And there she is. She's destitute, she's dejected, she's discouraged, and she's absolutely defeated. And she has no other option to dig herself out of the debt she's incurred through using her body. And she stands there naked and under the scanning eyes of all those who are bidding for her. And she's just awaiting the verdict that would change her life forever. And as the auction happens and it goes on and the bidding starts, something amazing happens. She hears a faint but but somewhat familiar voice. and, And he says from the back, five shekels. I think I know that voice. 10 shekels. Okay, I, I know who he is. That's my husband, and why would he do this? After the way I've treated him, why would he do this? 15 shekels sold. She's been bought back by her husband, the scripture tells us the one that she has spurned, the man whose heart she has shattered over and over again, and she's trying to make it make sense. There's only one reason, that's it. There's only one reason he would do that because he wants revenge. That's what it is. So she lifts her head and she clenches her jaw and she's bracing herself for the treatment that's coming. Then there's another surprise. She's not greeted with anger, with malice or a spirit of revenge she's greeted with a tender smile and a warm embrace that tells her, I love you more than you can possibly imagine. Sweetheart, let's go home. There is one whose love we have spurned, whose heart we continually break. And he found us on the bidding block and Jesus didn't just pay 15 shekels for us. He bought us with His own life. And when we look our our eyes and and lift our heads up and look at the cross, it's not revenge that's on the mind of God. No, we're greeted with a warm smile and embrace that says, I love you more than you can possibly imagine. Let's go home. Jesus gave His body up as a sacrifice so that we don't have to give our body up to sin. You're not your own. Therefore, the Scripture says, therefore, glorify God with your body. Glory means to radiate the presence and ownership of God in one's own body. It's not so much as that we live for Jesus as it's letting Him live through us. I'm to radiate the presence of God's glory through crucifying the deeds of the flesh so that the Holy Spirit can shine the glory of God through me. Why do I need to glorify God in my body? Because he is to have control. He has a better call on my life. I have a binding connection with him like no one else. There are bad consequences when I don't. I'm a blessed container of the Holy Spirit. My body is not my own, and there's been a bold claim on my body, and there's been a big cost paid for my body. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Can I tell you today, listen to me, listen carefully. I started with this. I want to finish with this. No matter what you've done, (laughs) no matter your sin and no matter your shame, know today that Jesus absolutely loves you and can forgive you of any and all sin so as our band comes and those who are singing comes i want to tell you something that i I think is kind of remarkable y'all ever been to walmart cheap date i can tell you that I like to go up to Walmart to get gas. I'm not trying to make a statement of where you should get gas. It's just normally where I go because we're at Walmart like 30 times a day. It's probably why I need so much gas, but that's beside the point. I don't know if you've noticed it, but it's at most pumps. But I just noticed it recently at the pump at Walmart. There, there's, there's two little handles there. One's for diesel and one's for gas. I'm probably pretty sure you know you're not supposed to put diesel and a gas engine. So to help with that, they put two handles, and they even made different colors there. (laughs) Right? Y'all follow me? Now, they want you to know that if you put diesel into a gas engine, that something bad is going to happen. And the truth is, all things are lawful for you. You can put diesel in a gas engine. But not everything's beneficial. I can use my body for sexual immorality. But just as sure as you put diesel in a gas engine, you're going to be broke down on the side of the road somewhere and wondering how you're going to get out of that mess. And while you maybe get a new engine in your car, your truck, and you can go on living and driving your car like nothing ever happened, here's where the story changes. You put sexual immorality in the body of Christ, and you're forever going to run and operate in a way that was never intended. You're never going to get back to normal. what the scripture says you can be forgiven absolutely god saves us from our sins sometimes he doesn't save us from our consequences so please flee that stuff there's some christians in this room right now who've become addicted there's some christians right now who are enslaved they're dominated by some sin. It could be pornography, it could be substances, it could be just attitude toward parents, toward chasing the almighty dollar, something. You're enslaved to something. Something has gained mastery over your life where only Jesus should have mastery. And I want to tell you right now in these moments that Jesus wants to set you free. I'm opening this author up in just a moment, and I'm begging anybody that's caught in anything that has mastery over their life to come to King Jesus, to get on your knees and just simply say, Jesus, I repent. Please give me the grace to honor you with my body. As some of you, you have never trusted Jesus to save you, and whatever you're trying to fuel your life with, It's not going to give you what Jesus can. He made you for Himself, and when you trust Him, you'll find your purpose. So listen to me, this morning, if you are unsure, or you're really just unsaved, I wonder if you would pray with me this morning. I will be here to pray a prayer of salvation with you, to help you give your heart to Jesus, and to make this all right. So I wonder right now, would you stand with me? And I'm going to pray and we'll sing. And you come, others will be here to pray with you.